You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. How's everybody? Well, it is good to see you. I hope your kickoff to 4th of July festivities has been good or not. Okay, we should probably be doing a uh, teaching series on Noah and the flood, but instead we went with Jonah and the whale. Uh, So uh, let's read it together. We'll warm up here. It'll be okay. Uh, We're going to look at uh, Jonah chapter 1. And for the next four weeks, we'll peel through uh, the book of Jonah. So many good lessons there for each one of us. Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship in the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You know, God has a strange way of working sometimes, doesn't he? A person who you would have never expected to befriend becomes a friend. God sends you to the least likely folks, and you thought they were a project, And then they become your brother or sister in Christ. Jesus says some tough things to us about this. To love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and maybe the toughest of all, to be perfect. As your Heavenly Father is perfect. Now there's a tough one. Now I had this happen to me uh, some years ago. Whether you know it or not, I used to play hockey. Not always conducive to being a Christian. Gotta be honest with you. And uh, I was on a Wednesday night, we called it the Old Guys League, because it was a bunch of guys who, we were all from the North Country and grew up playing hockey, and, you know, we just enjoyed being with each other and skating, getting some exercise, that kind of thing. And there was this young guy who would flow in and out of our league, and he liked to be very physical, as most younger guys do, and, you know, he'd hit you and talk some trash and all that good stuff. And uh, we didn't really like him, I gotta be honest. I didn't really like him at all, you know, had to, had to work on that. And then he was gone, and we thought, oh, this is fantastic, until one night, on Wednesday night, I get to the locker room, and there he is sitting there, and it starts off with, oh, you. I can't wait. And I said, well, yeah, I don't like you much either. And that's kind of how it started. And uh, the captain of our team put us on the same line together, and within, I don't know, a few months, we became good friends. It's interesting when your enemy becomes your mission field. Have you ever had that moment in your life? The least likely circumstance, the least likely kind of situation, and God works 
in a miraculous way. And in many ways, that's the story of Jonah. The people that he can't stand becomes his mission field. And people love to talk about Jonah and the whale of a tale that it is, and bellies of whales and three nights and all of this kind of stuff, which is important. This is important. But perhaps even more important is the realization that we've all got this tale that we're called to live, and more often than not, we're reluctant to go and live it. We tend to run from our mission field, and sometimes our mission field is to a place that we don't want to go and to a people that we don't even like. Have you ever been there? God ever called you to do something difficult or go to a place and you think, uh, how about I just have a Bible study? I bet you've been there. Or if not, congratulations, it's coming soon. And the reason for that is actually really, really simple. Why didn't Jonah want to go to the mission field which God had called him? We tend to think that, you know, Jonah was a rebel or maybe he didn't love God enough. No, it's just he didn't love the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were a group of people that were brutal. If you do any reading in in history about the Assyrian Empire, we are talking about some of the most brutal, barbaric folks. If you lived in a town of a thousand people, they would bring an army of a hundred thousand to your doorstep. They would completely obliterate your town, and anybody who was left over, it was not a good scene. And so it's not surprising that Jonah wouldn't want to deal with these folks because they were so, so rotten. In fact, when they came to northern Israel the first time, around the year 850 B.C., um, they didn't exactly take over the way that they had hoped to. And so they vowed to come back with a vengeance. And there was a king at the time known as uh, King Jehu. And when the Assyrians returned, King Jehu knew exactly what kind of people the Assyrians were. So instead of fighting out a long, protracted military battle that ended in all kinds of bloodshed, essentially what he did was when the king showed up, he bowed down, gave him gold and silver, and said, hey, take part of our land, it'll be just fine. In fact, this is an ancient stele, it's called, or a stone which depicts King Jehu bowing down. You'll see him there in the middle of the, uh, of the frame to the king of Assyria. And not long after him arose another king, King Jeroboam II. And so he figured out how to make friends uh, with the Assyrians as well, and it made him and the kingdom of Israel, for that matter, very, very wealthy. It was a great time of economic prosperity, but in the process, he's giving away more and more land to this foreign group of invaders and this is where we meet Jonah Jonah arises in the context of all of this Assyrian mess and it's he's got this obscure sort of beginning in fact we read about it in in 2nd Kings chapter 14 we know that the name Jonah means dove a son of Amittai having to do with truth we know that he lived in the northern part of Israel around 786 to 747 BC But we really don't know what is he beyond that. He's called a prophet, but the book of Jonah never refers to him as a prophet. In many ways, he's a patriot. He's he's a guy who confronts the king and says, hey, here's the deal. These borders, this land, the land of Israel, it's a land that God gave to us. Why do you keep giving it away? What are you doing? Whose side are you really on? You've invested and gotten wealthy from it. But really the problem is this, our hearts are far from God. And so as he's confronting the kings and and living in his homeland, I figure 
Jonah's a Lexingtonian kind of guy. You know, he just wants to live at home and do his thing and take on the king. And all of a sudden, we read this passage uh, from, from today, Jonah chapter 1 at verse 2. God says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians. It was five times bigger than the city of Jerusalem. It was the center of political, economic, and military power. And the sworn enemy of Israel, this is where God wants Jonah to go. And there's no doubt about it. In fact, in verse 1, we're told this, that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. This isn't like, hey, why don't you just put this on your prayer list? Or it, if you're not busy and you don't mind, would you sign up for the mission trip? We need some chaperones. This isn't a, hey, why don't you have a study, why don't you have a 52-week discernment process to see if this thing works out for you? This isn't, why don't you, you buy the latest Bible study on missions to figure out if this whole thing is going to work for you. This is the word of the Lord. This is God saying, here's the deal. When I speak, people act. When I speak, the universe is formed. This word comes to Jonah and says, go and call out against the wickedness of the Assyrians. Now, I got to tell you, if I'm Jonah and God promises to bring destruction on my enemy, I, mm, I might want to wait on that a little bit. Anybody with me? Thanks to a couple of you who are honest this morning. Yeah, I mean, in hockey, you don't want to see the other guy do well. You know. You want me to go to them, the Assyrians? The people who are taking over our land, who kill in a barbaric kind of way? Thanks a lot, God. Why does God do these kinds of things? I suppose that's part of the question. You know, and, and for us, when God calls us, will we go regardless of where or to whom? Maybe, maybe that's a deeper question. I mean, can't we, just, can't we just talk about it? Can we have a study group and we could meet for a while and talk about it? I'll tell you, God, how about this? I will Venmo or PayPal some money. What if we do that? You know, my church has an online giving portal. I'm going to give to the mission fund Let's do that. How about we do that instead? How about we talk about it for a while? I could pray and then contemplate. Maybe I'll go to a monastery and think about it for a while. Nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to do this mission because the assumption is that there's no way God could be on the side of the Assyrians. And isn't that how it works? I mean, God's on our side, right? He can't be on, on their side. And God's got to be on Israel's side of, of anybody because I mean, these are his peeps, right? So why the Assyrians? Why, why would you take up sides with him? And this is part of our flawed understanding of, of the nature of God. I can tell you exactly how this works. Picture it now. 8.3 seconds left in the game, down by two. What's everybody in the stadium doing? There's more prayer happening in there than on a Sunday morning in church. Are, are you with me? I mean, you want to see prayer, go to Rupp Arena when UK is down by two with 8.3 seconds left, and everybody's like... <laughs> and they're cooking up deals. 
with the Father, Son, and Spirit about, oh, if you just give them a win, because God, you're on our side, you can't be on their side, especially not the side of anybody whose team is named after a devil. I mean, come on. Are you with me? No way, God, can you be on their side. You're, you're on our side. I think I'm meddling with a couple people this morning. No way. And yet, what do you do? What do you do, friends, if God says, hey, you know, those devil people, they're mine too. And that Leitner guy, oh, yeah, he's mine too. What do you do when that becomes your mission field? Everybody's like, I ain't going there. Yeah. So now you see Jonah's predicament. What do you do in your mission field? Is the coworker you can't stand, the classmate who's picked on you? What do you do when it's the neighbor you fought over property lines with? What do you do when your mission field is the person that you can't stand in the place that you would be least likely to go? What are you going to do then? Were the Ninevites evil? Undoubtedly. Were they ruthless? You bet. It seems like a clear-cut case for fire and brimstone and God not being on the side of the Ninevites. If anybody's going to get smoked in the ancient world, it's got to be them. And yet the gospel confronts us in a powerful way in just two verses when we read this, for God so what? Loved. Oh, man. For God so loved everybody that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. You mean those people? Them too. Here's the struggle. When God calls us to that kind of mission field, to those kind of people, to the very places and people that we don't want to be with, what is our human tendency? I'll give you a hint. One word, three letters, run. Ever done it? Yeah, I, I ain't doing that. We run. I don't run, but I can be a professional runner in the spiritual world. Anybody else? And that's exactly what Jonah does. He heads down to Jaffa, which is a seaport, and instead of going to Nineveh, which is in modern-day Iraq, he goes to Tarshish, which is in modern-day Portugal. In fact, 2,500 miles separate the two. I ain't going to those people. And the beauty of the scripture is, as the, the sea is getting crazy, Nona, uh, Jonah is down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. I don't want anything to do with that mission. I'm completely tuned out. Have you ever run in the opposite direction? And maybe the bigger question we've got to ask is, how did that work for you? See, again, it's our misunderstanding about the nature of God. You really think that you can run from God? You think there's ever a moment where he goes, oh, 
Where'd the kids go? They're tricky. I can't find them. Of course not. I mean, we used to play hide-and-seek with, with our kids. And that was half of the fun, right? Oh, where did they go? I have no idea. And there they are standing, like half of them is completely exposed. In fact, the psalmist captures this beautifully in Psalm 139 when we read, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. You know, the good news is this. We run from our calling. And yet, wherever we run to, God meets us there. The greats of the faith do this. Moses, great example. Send somebody else. God meets us wherever we're at and says, hey, really, I've got this incredible adventure for you to go on. And you're the person that I've picked. I know it's not the mission that you wanted. I know it's not the people that you wanted. But here's the thing. I've prepared you, and I've called you, and you're mine. Go. What if we just said, here I am, send me. You know, I think we find ourselves in a new season of life here at St. Luke when it comes to mission. And two things that I've been talking about for a while now, soft hearts and firm convictions are going to be really important for the mission that God has in store for each one of us. Because if we're going to reach the next generation or generations, we've got to keep both of those things. Firm convictions on the truth and soft hearts to love people well. Will we go? Perhaps that's the deeper question. Will we go wherever it is that God leads us? God sent Jonah to Nineveh with the desire for him to have not only firm convictions, but a soft heart. And in this world of half-truths, the truth confronts and it convicts and it course-corrects. But the manner in which we do it, the soft heart with which we approach people, is equally as important. And when you can love people well, wherever they're at, and when the moment comes, offer them the truth, you'll find changed lives. That's the stuff of the gospel, it's the stuff of Jonah, and I know that's the stuff of St. Luke people. And here's the challenge I want to lay out for you for this next year. Here at St. Luke, we start a new year, a new church year, the first day of July, every year. And so one year from today, 365 days from right now, there should be one new person sitting in the seat next to you. One new person. You're spiritually responsible for that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he was born of a virgin, died on a cross, and rose again on the third day, if you believe that the gospel matters, if you believe that people are fundamentally lost, and need the hope of Jesus Christ, then it is your responsibility to bring one new person with you in these next 365 days. 
And as much as I love you and want to shepherd you and, and lead you and be your pastor, this is your responsibility. If you believe it, then you got to live it. Because there is a great big mission field out there of lost and hurting people. And here's the struggle, church. For years, we've messed around with ecclesiastical politics for fear of who would leave our churches. And let me tell you today, definitively, that battle's over. The church already decided. So let's move forward. And the way that we move forward is together to reach new people and more people for Christ. The gospel has always been our mission. Not trying to placate everybody. So let's get on mission. Let's get on point. Let's go to the world. Let's go maybe to some places that we would pick last. Because the church, I think at its best, is a bit like a hospital. For the hurting and for the wounded. And the people of the church are at its best when we're more like missionaries. We're sent forth from this place to go and reach the world. So I ask you today, who is your mission field? Are you running from it? Are the spiritual conversations, you're, are you having spiritual conversations is probably a better question. And I want you to know this, you can try to run. Here's the thing I've found over 20 plus years. God is a whole lot faster. Let's get on board and let's see what God will do. Are you in? Let's go. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that uh, we try to run and you're faster. And Lord, we come to you this morning and ask for forgiveness. that for too long the mission of the church became something else instead of the great commission to go and make disciples. And so we're grateful for how you've led us. And we're grateful that the battleground for truth has been decided. And at the same time, God, we recognize that we've missed far too many hurting or lost people. So we pray for your strength. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your grace. That you would help us bring the truth that Jesus lived and died and rose again. Everywhere. To everyone around us. Strengthen us in this time of Holy Communion. In Jesus' name we pray.